When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if, you're, if you are willing, can you make me clean? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift of Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abraham. And so this morning, uh, we, we finished last week, we finished our faithful series exploring what it means to be uh, faithful stewards of God's resources that is entrusted to us. And, and this week, we start a new series that we're calling Face to Face with God. Um, and so uh, through this series, we're, what we're doing is exploring the personal encounters, the, the one-on-one encounters that people have with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and so uh, this is about encountering Jesus face to face. And so in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 though, it says of Jesus uh, that the Son, that is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And so Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. Jesus himself, uh, speaking to Thomas when, when Jesus was talking to them on the night that he was betrayed uh, and, and saying that he was going to the Father and Thomas was confused and he says, well, just this will all make sense if you just show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus answered Thomas, says, don't you, sorry, Philip, different, different person, but Philip, don't you, Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so Jesus was saying himself what Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 3 says, that, that Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. In uh, John's introduction to his gospel, in that first uh, 18 or 19 verses, he talks kind of an overview of who Jesus is and uh, before he gets into the story uh, of, of Jesus' earthly mission and he says, no one has ever seen God in John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, that is Jesus, who is himself God and is closest in relationship with the Father has made him known. And so no one has seen the, the physical person of God and if we look through the Old Testament stories, you know, Ezekiel has one of the most profound visions of God but if you read through it, it's kind of the shadow of the radiance of the nearness of the glory of God. It's, it's several parts removed. No one has seen God. Moses, uh, though we're told he sp- spoke with God as face to face but when he actually wanted to see the fullness of God's glory, when he said, show me your glory, Moses, uh, God said to him, you can't see that and not die and so he he said I'm going to hide you in a cleft of a rock and I'm going to put my hand over you and you can kind of see uh, in our English translations it says the back of him in a sense but but in in literal sense it's the space where he just was in in that sense it's it's that's about as much of the revelation of God that we can handle in our human capacity but yet when we come to Jesus the Bible says that he is the exact representation of of who God is. 
And so when we come to these personal encounters with Jesus through the Gospels, there's, there's some deep window of insight into the very nature of who God is available to us. Bill Johnson, an American pastor of a church named Bethel, says that Jesus is perfect theology. The whole Bible gives us a sense of who God is and we build that together and, and, and there's so many facets of the person of God that, that, that we get all these different concepts of who God is from the whole of Scriptures. But, but when we boil it down, Jesus is perfect theology. These face-to-face encounters with Jesus are not just face-to-face encounters with a man, they are face-to-face encounters with God. And so we've called this series Face to Face with God and I want to thank Alex for, for putting this image together um, as she puts all of our, our, our visuals together for our sermons but um, I thought this one was a curly one uh, when I said I'm, I'm going to do this series and I kind of emailed the pitch to Alex and I thought good luck with finding an image that kind of fits with that um, and Alex came back with a few options but then I saw this one I was just like that's it because it's talking about what do we see when we look into the face of Jesus. What do you and I see when, when we explore these personal encounters with Jesus when we look into the face of Jesus? Because when we're looking into the face of Jesus, we're looking into the very face of God. The creator of the universe is revealed to us in these encounters. And so we learn that God is not a God of mere abstract theology or theories or philosophies. We learn that though there's life principles to be gleaned from the scriptures, that God's not a God that just wants to leave us with with principles for life. He's a God of personal presence. He's a God of intimate relationship. He's a God of personal encounter and we discover that in the one-on-one encounters with Jesus. He speaks to crowds, He heals many, But it's these moments where people come before Jesus one-on-one that we see who God really is. So I'm going to pray and and then we're going to uh, explore this passage that Abraham read for us this morning. This is the the first encounter with Jesus we're going to look at. But I'm going to pray not just for this morning but for this whole series that that as we come to face to face with God that our relationship with Him deepens, that our affection for Him deepens, that our understanding of who He is grows, that our awareness of His love for us grows. I'm I'm really excited about this series and what we've been doing recently has been been great I think but, but I'm just really excited about coming face-to-face with Jesus. As we've already sang this morning, that's who we're here for. We're here for Jesus. Uh, and so I'm going to pray um, as we begin this journey. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the revelation of who you are that is present in the person of Jesus. We thank you for the perfect theology of Jesus. That is, we thank you that Jesus perfectly expresses who you are. And so as we through your scripture become, sorry, as we through your scripture come face to face with Jesus, face to face with God through this series, Father, I pray that it'd be more than just an intellectual journey we go on, but a journey of the heart, a journey of our understanding of who you are, a journey of discovering your love and and, and your your affection for us, a journey of discovering just who you really are. 
And so I pray over this next five or six weeks, Lord, that as we come face to face with God, as a church and as individuals, that you would transform us deeply, that we would be transformed from glory to glory into the image of your Son, Jesus, that we might grow deeper in relationship, yes, but that we might also uh, grow in our reflection of who you are to the world around us. And so in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so the first story we come to, these one-on-one encounters, is a story where a man, he doesn't actually ask a question, he makes a statement, but... In, in wrapped up in that statement is the question, is Jesus willing? Is He willing? Is, is God willing? The question is not, uh, is He able? The question is, is God willing? And so we begin this journey of face-to-face with God, with a man on his knees before God, absolutely vulnerable to Him absolutely vulnerable to Jesus asking this question, is God the kind of God who is willing? This is a question that underlies so many of the questions that we ourselves have about God. If, if we've got some sense of a belief in a God who created the universe, then, then we might kind of couch our questions in words that kind of are, can God do this? But, but underlying the heart of that really is the question, is He willing not is he able? If we think that, if we believe that God created the entire universe, then there's nothing really beyond his ability. And so underlying so many of our questions is this question, is he willing? Is God willing? Is God willing to see me in the crowd? Is God willing to touch my broken life? Is God willing to make me whole again? Is he willing? So kind of the first underlying question that, that, that uh, is wrapped up in this story is the, the thought for us that are we lost in the crowd or are we one in 7.6 billion? Are we just lost in the crowd or are we one unique, loved, adored person in the midst of 7.6 billion other people on this planet? And so as Abraham read for us, the, the story of this encounter with Jesus begins uh, by a recap of where Jesus has been. He's been uh, teaching on the mountainside. The, the Sermon on the Mount is the, the kind of phrase that it often gets referred to and, and that's actually going to be our next series. We're going to spend some time in Matthew through a few different series. But, but Jesus has been teaching the people uh, on, on the mountainside and, and so we read that when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Throughout this period of Jesus' ministry, he was followed by large crowds. We, we remember uh, the kind of stories of feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, of, of him being in a, in a room and no one could get to him, so people were digging holes through the roof so that they could get their, their injured friends to him so that they could be healed. Well, we read in Mark's Gospel that Actually, after this incident uh, of this healing in Mark's Gospel, it talks about the crowds were so large that followed him that Jesus couldn't even enter a town. 
because so many people were pursuing Jesus to, to hear his teaching, to be healed, and, and as Jesus points to it sometimes, simply just to be fed. And so large crowds of people were following him. And so it's easy for the one to get lost in the crowd. It's easy for us to feel that we're just lost in the crowd. Who's ever been to the Royal Easter Show in Sydney? And so I remember several years ago, um, my brother was uh, away with work in Abu Dhabi. Um, and so his wife and their two boys, and at the, same t- at the time we only had the first two of our boys, um, she came to stay with us for a little while and we went to the Royal Easter Show together. Um, and so my, we had uh, our two sons, Josiah and Caleb, um, and we had uh, Lachlan and Eli, uh, Steph, my sister-in-law's two sons. Um, and so Steph went to the toilet and there was, if you've been to the Royal Easter Show, you know that there's crowds upon crowds upon crowds and it's not a place to be if you're an introvert. Um, if you're an extrovert, it's a great place to be. Um, but we were just kind of huddled around this pylon and Steph went off to the, go to the toilet. And so Christy and I had the four kids trying to corral them. And within a few seconds, Eli, who was about two at the time, was gone. And obviously we were a little bit concerned about that because there was 7.6 billion people at the Easter show that day and, and we had no idea where Eli was. Um, and it turned out he was only a couple of metres away. He had just wondered where mum had gone and so he just kind of walked around the other side of the pole. But the point of telling that story is in the midst of so many people, you can be not far away from where you're meant to be but you can be completely lost and unnoticed. And so Eli, though he was close to where we were, was completely lost in the crowd. And so this context of the crowd, it's not just filling the story, it's, it's telling us that Jesus was pursued by this enormous crowd and the question is, are we lost in that crowd or are we one that Jesus would stop for? And so the story goes that, that Jesus stopped for the one in the crowd. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. One man came before Jesus with his need in the midst of the crowd and Jesus stopped for the one. This man was not lost in the crowd. He was not unnoticed by Jesus. He came and knelt before Jesus and, and with the crowd pursuing him, it perhaps wouldn't have been too hard for Jesus to do a little sidestep and keep walking. But Jesus stops for the one in the midst of the crowd. To jump ahead in the story a little bit, in, in verse 4, after Jesus has healed this man, he says, See that you don't tell anyone. See that you don't tell anyone, but go to the temple and, and do the ritual process, which we'll talk about more so. But, but I want us to capture the sense of what see that you don't tell anyone really means for Jesus' compassion for the one. He doesn't stop for the one because it looks good for him to do that. He doesn't care for the one and heal the one because it's, it's going to advance his ministry and it's going to look good and it's going to, you know, people will see that and hear about that and, and his, his, his crowd is going to grow. Jesus stops for the one, for the one. Jesus stops for the individual for the sake of the individual. To see that you don't tell anyone. This is not about Jesus being self-seeking or self-serving or self-important about Jesus simply 
caring enough to stop for the one. In the midst of the crowd, Jesus stops for the one. And so I wonder this morning, have you ever felt lost in the crowd? Have you ever felt that there's just so many people, how can I be important to God? There are 7.6 billion people, uh, apparently, uh, according to a quick Google search, uh, on, on the earth at the moment. 7.6 billion people. And so I wonder, in the midst of 7.6 billion people, have you ever felt like you're just not significant enough, not important enough for God to care about? Have you ever felt lost in the crowd? Well, the first message of this story is that, that God is not too busy. God is not too aloof. God is not too self-focused. He's not distracted by the crowd. He's not too self-important. He is a God who stops for the individual. He is a God who stops for the one. He is a God who cares for you and will stop for you. Jesus shows us a God who cares for the one. You are not lost in the crowd. You are one in the midst of 6.7 billion people. The truth is that Jesus shows us a God who cares individually for each and every one of us. Jesus shows us a God who cares for the one. Is he willing to stop for us? Yes, he is. And so the next kind of question that, that is, is, is wrapped around this question of is he willing for this man is, 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 if we put it, focusing on us, are we too unclean for God to touch? He might stop for us, but, but are we too unclean for him to reach into our own lives and touch us? Are we too broken? Are we too sinful? Are we too messed up? for God to touch us, to touch our lives. The story continues, just adding a verse and taking one off the top. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Uh, in the original Greek, it's, it's more, Behold a leper! It's shocking. Then the midst of Jesus has just proclaimed this long uh, and, and, and wise sermon to the crowd and he's walking down the mountainside and great crowds uh, are following him. This, uh, at this stage, not everyone really had a concept of who Jesus was. They weren't all saying that he's the son of God, uh, but, but they're, they're seeing that this man is a holy man, he's a wise man, he's a powerful man. And behold, a leper kneels before him. This is out of place. He should not be there. Uh, leprosy, uh, in, its, in its use around the time of Jesus, the Greek word for that, uh, doesn't necessarily mean uh, Hansen's disease, is what we think of as leprosy, um, which isn't actually that contagious, but can be quite disfiguring. Um, and, and there's a lot of stuff around that in our modern world about kind of those people being outcast in certain societies. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It was a word that kind of encompassed a whole bunch of contagious skin disorders. And so a man with a contagious skin disorder 
came before Jesus. And, and so the thing with these skin disorders that were labelled leprosy, it wasn't just the, the, the risk of catching that disease and yourself getting leprosy. It was, it was extremely uh, a potent thing in uh, the, the spiritual world of the, the Jewish people. A leper was an outcast, was rejected. A leper was, uh, in, in the terms of uh, the religious processes of Israel, was essentially a walking corpse. Israel, uh, the Israelites, the Jewish people, couldn't touch a, a dead body or anything dead without becoming uh, religiously and spiritually unclean. And so there's a whole process that they needed to do to become clean again. And, and uh, the, the kind of the uncleanest thing was touching a dead body. And so to touch a leper was akin to touching a dead body. And so to, the idea of a leper being healed as well was, was akin to the idea of a dead person being raised. It was thought of as impossible. And so someone with leprosy was outcast, they were rejected, they were untouchable, they had to cover their face and, with a robe and walk around and stay outside any town or city and, and if anyone came near them, they had to shout out, unclean, 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 so that no one would risk coming near them and becoming unclean themselves. He should have stayed away from everybody especially the holy and divine Son of God, especially from the presence of God Himself. This man is out of place. This man is untouchable. We've got a, um, a house that we're very blessed to live in and uh, um, most of that house has uh, kind of white cream, I guess, um, tiles and we also have three young children three boys um, and a backyard that's not very well covered in grass and has that red clay soil that we have around here and so uh, in the midst of that our floor is often not immaculate but we try and keep it clean and and so whether it's Christy or I who've done it um, we vacuum it and and mop it and it looks great it's sparkling clean and so so then uh, that floor kind of has this holy and divine status in our family <laughs> That if we've done that during the day, uh, on our day off, and the boys have been at school, and when they come home from school, off school bus, it's kind of that, we hear the door open, shoes off, shoes off, shoes off! If they've been outside playing, they need to kind of carry their shoe, they need to either put their gumboots on from the shoe box outside, and, and there's this, this period of time where, where the floor is holy and divine and nothing unclean may touch it. We can maintain that for about 10 or 15 minutes of actually, but we have this sense of we don't want this thing to get unclean because it's now been made holy and righteous and clean. That's the sense of what, but to a much greater degree, of course, what a person with leprosy was to Israeli, ancient Israel, to the Jewish society. They were the muddy boots on the clean tile floor. They weren't allowed to touch it. They weren't allowed to touch Jewish society. They weren't allowed to be anywhere near the temple, let alone anywhere near God. And so, is he willing? Are you willing? Is a deeper question than just, do you see me in the crowd? It's a question of, is God prepared to reach out and touch my unclean, broken mess of a life? 
Is God willing to touch our unclean, broken mess of a life? But we're told that Jesus gave a physical response to this question. It says that Jesus reached out his hand in Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. Jesus both demonstrated and affirmed with his voice that he was willing to touch the untouchable, the outcast, the behold the leper. I'm sure everyone in the crowd was shocked and afraid. Everyone else would have been backpedaling because, wait a minute, this leper should not be here. I do not want to get unclean. I've just had this literal mountaintop experience with Jesus and now there's a leper in front of me. So they're backpedaling away from him. But Jesus, in answer to the are you willing question of this man, we're told, reached out and touched him. Matthew's Gospel, if it was submitted um, in a theology exam, would fail because he copied most of it from Mark. <laughs> but then he also added extra sections. But, but the bits that he copied from Mark, um, he also kind of abbreviates to a little bit. And so we can read in Mark chapter 1 this same story told by Mark. And I just want to read uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 41 because it's kind of inserted in that space and Um, Well, I'll read the verse before it to give context. And it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. This is what Mark adds. He says, Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And so this is a movement of compassion from Jesus, the exact representation of who God is. The Greek word is kind of a a word that talks about the rending of the insides. He was torn apart on the inside for the, the, the fate and the state of this man and so he reached out and touched him. The thing is, he didn't have to touch him to heal him. This isn't a necessary process for God to have made the man clean. Uh, Next week we'll talk about Mark chapter 8 verses 5 to 13 and the story of the Roman centurion coming before Jesus and and, and, and asking for one of his servants to be healed and Jesus says, oh, oh, I'll come and, and the Roman centurion says, you don't need to come, you just need to say the word. And we'll we'll unpack that a bit more next week. But it's not an accident that Matthew, when he recorded the gospel of Jesus, put these two stories together because it tells us that this touch was about something so much deeper than Jesus just had to touch him to heal him because Jesus doesn't have to touch anything to heal it. He can just speak the word from miles away and the person is healed. Jesus could have just said, be clean without touching the man, without, without... what would have technically been religiously making himself unclean. He could have done it without the touch, but but Jesus moves with compassion, demonstrates that he's not just willing to heal, he's willing to touch the broken, unclean mess of our lives. Have you ever believed that you're not good enough for God to touch your life?
Have you ever believed that your life is problems are too complex or you've been too sinful, you're too broken, you're too messed up, you're, you're too anything for God to touch your life? Have you ever kind of thought, well, yeah, I get that God loves everybody, I might even get that He sees me in the crowd, but, but He's not going to like what He sees when He sees me. See, some of us want to be lost in the crowd. We don't want to be face-to-face with God because we have a belief that if we come face-to-face with God, He's not going to like what He sees, He's not going to want to touch us. Have you ever felt like you're too broken or unclean for God to touch you? Well, Jesus shows us a God who is filled with compassion, who is willing to touch the lives of the most unclean. There was not a single person in society at the time of Jesus who was more untouchable than this man. Yet Jesus reached out and touched him. Jesus shows us a God who is willing to touch the lives of the unclean. And so we're not lost in the crowd. Jesus shows us a God who stops for the one. We're not too unclean for God. Jesus shows us a God who is willing to step into the mess. And that's really what Jesus' entire life and ministry and incarnation and death and resurrection are about. It's really a, a big overarching statement of Him reaching out and touching us and saying, I am willing. But when we are touched by God, will we be ruined or restored? If God was to touch my life, would that ruin me or would it restore me? Would it break me or would it make me whole? In Isaiah chapter 6, we get this account of the prophet Isaiah uh, having this, this vision that seems more than a vision of of being in the throne room of heaven. And so in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, he, he realizes where he is and he says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. He realizes he's in the presence of God and his response is, I'm ruined. This will be my undoing. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so Isaiah, the prophet, comes face to face with God and and he, he realizes that as an unclean person, that means his destruction. That means his ruin. That means he'll be obliterated. Because the unclean can't come into the presence of the holy without being ruined. That's, that's the, the whole sense of the Old Testament is that God is holy and nothing that is not holy can't be near Him, can be near Him without being ruined. It's this sense of, and we're all here this morning and most of us here this morning are, are, are regulars in church so we've perhaps moved past this phase at least but But that idea that sometimes people say, if I walked into a church, the roof would fall in. So we might not say that, but but we we sometimes have a sense of, if I I really came into the presence of God, then something bad's going to happen because I'm not a good person. If I walked 
into the back door, maybe the, the, the roof tiles will hold up there, but if I get too close to the front, you know, where, where, where Jesus is, not really, but then, then I'll get consumed. I better, this is not directed at the people sitting at the back, I don't believe this is your attitude this morning, but I better sit at the back because if I get too close, I'm, I'm, I'm an unclean, broken person. God might be willing to touch me, but that's not going to turn out well for me. Will we be ruined or restored? And so Isaiah says, Woe to me and a man of unclean lips, I am ruined. But then it says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, a seraph's like an angelic figure, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is clean, your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. See, Isaiah was right that, that he should have been ruined, but, but God responded by not being defiled by Isaiah's uncleanliness, but making clean Isaiah. And so an unclean man stands before Jesus. And says, are you willing? So for Jesus to touch this unclean man was for him to become unclean himself. But just like in the story of Isaiah in the throne room of heaven, the unexpected happening, not the ruin of Isaiah, but the being made clean and the atonement of his sins, uh, the unexpected happens in this story. Says Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. To touch the unclean should mean that you become unclean, but Jesus reversed the polarity of spiritual purity. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. So that, that now in Jesus we're shown a God who if we touch him we're not ruined. If we touch him he's not defiled or made unholy. If we touch him we are made clean. We are restored. We are made whole. But it's not just a physical healing here. More is happening than just the man's skin being healed. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. The man's physical ailment was, was healed immediately with Jesus' touch and his words. And, and then Jesus says, see to it that you don't tell anyone. But then he says, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to him. So without boring you with a lengthy journey into Leviticus... When a person, for whatever reason, was, was, was cleansed of their skin issue, it was the responsibility of the priests to declare them clean. And that involved a religious ceremony and the offering of a sacrifice and, 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 uh, and then the public declaration of the priest that this person was now clean, that this person could re-enter society that this person could then be touched again, could enter into relationships again. And so, so Jesus is not satisfied with just sending this man away 
physically healed, he wants him to be completely restored. Physically, socially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, Jesus completely restores this man's life. In reality, this man took a risk coming before Jesus with this question, are you willing? Not just are you willing to see me, not just are you willing to touch me, but but are you willing to restore me instead of ruin me? Are you willing to make me whole again? And so Jesus shows us a God who restores those that he, whose lives he touches in every single way. We might laugh at the idea uh, because we've, you know, we've tried it a few times and the roof didn't fall in that we would ever think, oh, if I walked into the church, the roof would fall in. We might laugh at that idea, but, but I wonder, have you ever felt something along those lines? Have you ever felt, well, I shouldn't take communion today because I'm not good enough for God today? I, I should probably not pray because, you know, I've been a naughty person or I haven't been reading my Bible or I'm just not good enough. I wonder if you've ever thought any kind of about any kind of belief that is along the lines of I can't come face to face with God today because I'm not good enough whether the roof will fall in or or you just feel like he wouldn't want to see you do you ever believe if God truly touched your life that you would be ruined rather than restored And so in the midst of that question, Jesus shows us a God who restores, as I've already said, those he touches in every single way. And so I began with the idea that, uh, is the idea that will run through this whole series, that, that coming face to face with Jesus is coming face to face with the exact representation of who God is. Yes, we see Jesus in the crowds, having compassion on thousands of people. God's person is revealed there. We see Jesus in the statements where it says, and he healed many of their diseases, and he cast out many demons. But we see who God is in a very special way in these intimate moments. And so in this story of a leper, a man completely where he should not have been, Jesus shows us something of who God is. Who do you see when you look at God through the lens of Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 to 4? I want to suggest that Jesus shows us a God who in the midst of the crowds, in the midst of 7.6 billion people, He cares for the one. Jesus, through this story, shows us a God that in the midst of our brokenness and, and uncleanliness and our sinfulness, He is willing to touch our lives. And Jesus shows us a God who 
who doesn't want to bring wrath and destruction and ruin to our life. He brings healing and restoration and wholeness. So whatever beliefs you came this morning with about who God is, I want to say this morning and throughout this series, this is your God. Jesus is perfect theology. If you have believed something other than this about God, if you've believed something other than this about your relationship with God, as we sing this morning, my prayer is, as we sing to finish, that that lie will be replaced with this truth. Jesus shows us a God who cares for the one. The broken one, the unclean one, the divorced one, the gay one, the Muslim one, the heartbroken one, the sinful one, the sick one, the hopeless one, the prime minister one, the the living on the street one, the English one, the British one, the light-skinned one, the dark-skinned one. Jesus shows us at the very heart of it a God who cares and stops for and touches and heals the one. And so, Father, I pray may we know this truth not just in our heads this morning. I've done my best, Father, but only your Holy Spirit can make this truth known in the depths of our heart. We pray this morning that you would break off the lies, that, we, that you would break off those things that hinder our vision as we look at you. And that this morning through the story of this man who knelt before Jesus with a question that through this that all of the veils would be torn away and that we would see you face to face for who you really are. That we might be drawn into intimate, affectionate relationship with you. pray this in Jesus' name. If you've been blessed and encouraged by this message, we'd love for you to become a part of the Ask Baptist family. Log on to ycbc.church to find out more.